Hey team, welcome to The Offseason. The Offseason is an exploration of athletic health, recovery, and performance told through stories of athletes and their medical and training team. I hope you enjoy. Now for a quick but mandatory medical disclaimer. This podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of naturopathic medicine or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. Use of this material is at user's own risk. Listeners should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical conditions they may have and should seek assistance from their trusted healthcare professional for any condition. This podcast does not speak on behalf of naturopathic medicine and does not represent the views of the profession as a whole. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of The Off Season. This one is so cool. I chat with uh, Brian Stever. So Brian is one of the co-hosts of Sick Boy Podcast and um, they kind of make light of illness and tell the most amazing stories and hear the most amazing stories from their guests. So um, it's really kind of cool sitting down to a podcast with someone who podcasts for a living. I think this one, we really feed off of each other. He tells wicked stories, um, his past life as an athlete and that transition, how kind of we still have that internal drive going forward. Um, listen to this one, guys. It's it's super awesome. And Brian is such a storyteller. So uh, I hope you enjoy. Hey, Brian, welcome to the off season. Hey, thanks for having me. Man, I feel like great. that's that's such a, like a uh, like a cliche thing to say when when you start on a podcast it's like yeah thanks for having me but actually genuinely i'm i'm uh i'm happy to do this with you i'm happy to catch up and just hang out and shoot the shit i know it's been a long time i feel like um you've done so much since i've last seen you and you're always doing stuff and on the road and i see you're in a camper van right now i am yeah i'm currently uh living remotely i guess um um while being in this quarantine which which has been amazing but it has it's a whole host of challenges too so i don't want to like sugarcoat it um and make it seem like it's the greatest thing ever but um i'm certainly enjoying myself uh, as best as i can right now yeah it's such an interesting experience and i feel like just as you said there's ups and downs and new adventures and it's really forcing like a slowdown on my part so it's sweet i get to you know, have conversations like this and people have time in their lives to sit down and talk, which I'm going to definitely take advantage of for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's funny because, uh, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about it, but, um, you know, I, for those people who are listening, who don't know, I'm one of the co-hosts of sick boy podcast. And, um, for us, you know, over the last five years, we've been kind of, we, we set this like parameter that we wouldn't record with people unless it was in person because we felt like, you know, it's really difficult, difficult to have like genuine conversation. If you're not sitting face to face, it seems like almost when there's this like computer screen, there's some divide um, between you, or at least that's what we, we thought, but you know, in this new virtual world where we can't be face to face with one another in the same room, um, you know, it's, it actually wasn't as, it's, it hasn't been as difficult as we thought it was. And so we've been recording um, a lot of our podcasts or all of our podcasts now remotely. And uh, it's actually been a really awesome experience. I think for my mental health too, um, it's certainly helped keep this like level of like normalcy and sanity to uh, the day to day. Yeah, that's so huge. And um, I know we had a staff meeting like when this first all went down and there was like, 
I don't know, seven or eight of us on Zoom and we were all talking over each other and it was really awkward <laughs> and then there would be these silences and stuff. And then people like the second or third one we did, we all kind of got the groove of it. And then it felt like <laughs> yeah. we together and it felt like it was old times a little bit. Yeah, there's a, there's been a bunch of like old friends that I've I've caught up with over the past couple of weeks that I hadn't talked to in ages. And, you know, it, it's almost, it's easy to like shoot them a message and say, hey, want to hop on a, a Zoom or on FaceTime for a few minutes and catch up? And yeah, it's been, it's been really great. Yeah, it's, it's sweet. And I think there's so much opportunity just to like access people from that you never would before. Like I reached out to some randoms on Instagram and they were like, yeah, no, totally. I'd love to sit and chat and I have all the time in the world right now. So you're like, okay, let's do it. Yeah, I totally agree. Camper van right now. How did that come about? Um, So I've always wanted to own a Westphalia. And a couple of years ago, my girlfriend and I went on a trip to Hawaii and we decided that instead of, in, instead of staying in a hotel um, and being kind of stuck in one spot, we decided to look into renting um, camper vans. And we actually found a guy who was renting Westies. Uh, so we went there, we went on this 10 day trip and drove around. And the entire time that I was behind the wheel of this uh, van I, I just fell in love with it so I knew that as soon as I came home I wanted to look into to getting one myself so about six months later I bought um, this van that I'm in now and uh, I still um, have a place back home um, but I spend a lot of my time kind of trying to be remote and on the road traveling around um, and making the most of 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 you know the van that I bought. <laughs> That's so awesome. And like, we're all complaining about our small spaces inside a home. I can't imagine a camper van too. Yeah. And you know, I, to truthfully, um, I'm actually staying in my, my, uh, my girlfriend, my partner's uh, parents place right now. Um, and the van is parked outside of that. So that's how I have internet and Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi and how I'm connecting with you right now. Um, but it definitely is nice to be able to just kind of like take off and, and, you know, if I want to get away for the night or for the weekend, I can kind of crash in my own space. Um, and it's certainly been productive for getting work done and, uh, and not being stuck in, in one house with, uh, three other people. Yeah, definitely. I'm mildly jealous. Our, uh, we had to cancel our honeymoon plans, but it was to rent a camper van like that and tour the southern states. So we had every everything planned and then we had um, a festival all lined up and stuff like that. So I'm just looking at that being a little sad. right now. <laughs> It'll come though. You'll have your time. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And everything will come down the line. And I think just taking it day by day is, is really all you can do. Hey. Yeah. And, you know, the hardest part, I think, about um, being remote and being on the road is finding some consistency in uh, in training and and exercise routines. Um, You know, that's been I think that's the biggest that's been the biggest challenge for me. And uh, certainly during uh, this whole COVID-19 pandemic, um, I, I think it's been, you know, staying fit has been a huge challenge for me or at least finding some type of routine i've been active uh every week but it's it's been a lot harder to like stay consistent yeah i hear that and that's kind of like the main complaint of most of my patients of you know working full-time being parents trying to keep their job and trying to pull away for like a half an hour an hour to get a workout in and that's i kind of made a post about this the other day like as long as you're moving at least it's something you know Mm -hmm. it's interesting because like 
going from so like for me um my experience as an athlete uh was that i was a a um, sprint canoe athlete uh, growing up and i found that when i left the sport it became really hard to maintain um a, a high level of of exercise um and i really went through these ups and downs and only in the last few years i've really found um something that i love doing that i've been able to like find some consistency at and in including it in my schedule so i took up crossfit a few years ago and and you know having that programming that kind of resembles the the high level athlete training program um allowed me to to be more consistent with my training but now that like i don't have a gym to go to uh and i'm kind of accountable for my my it's a the, the, i mean the gym's still releasing programming but like at the same time it's harder to do when you're not with other people like that that was a huge part of it for me having that that accountability of of being in the gym with other people um and seeing the same people uh every single day um it's certainly been hard not having that same level of accountability being remote right now I can imagine for sure. I was doing workouts with uh, the owner of the clinic and he, if he was laughing at you, you're basically like not pushing hard enough. So you could keep going harder <laughs> and harder. So here it's just like with my husband and I'm like, uh, I don't want to do that last rep really. And he's like, okay, well let's go make dinner. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, I know. Right. Yeah. And, and my, uh, my girlfriend's still training. Uh, she's a kayaker and, and um, when I come out, so I, I'm I'm kind of still on like the nine to five work schedule, even though um, I'm just here on my own. And, and my girlfriend's uh, she's still training like she would any other day. And so her schedule while I'm working is training. And then, so when I finish work, I want to be active, but you know, she's ready to like make dinner, or like do something else. So it's hard to, you know, I've, I find it challenging to try to like, you know, fit my, like have my schedule match hers. Um, and if, and if it doesn't, then it makes it harder for me to like be accountable for my own training. Yeah. I hear you for sure. And it's like, I don't even know what I'm doing, but the hours in the day are just going by. Hey. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's, it's weird because it feels like time goes by incredibly fast, but also incredibly slow at the same time. Um, I feel like days go on forever, but then weeks just fly by. And, um, for me, it's been because the, the weekend doesn't feel like the weekend and I'm losing track of the days. And then I just feel like everything meshes together. Um, yeah, it's been tough. Yeah. It's a wild change up. And a lot of patients are saying like, when's it going to go back to normal? And I'm like, I don't know if this is, you know, if it's going to go back to what we had before, you know, I think there's going to be some changes. And one of the interesting things is I'm getting people doing like two or three day workouts now and they're updating me on those and I'm like holy shit like you didn't work out at all and now you're doing two a days like that's <laughs> wild um, yeah do you do you think it's because like um yeah like people will miss a couple days of workouts and then they want to make up for it like I I know that I'm I I could certainly get into that mindset yeah definitely I totally and I think they're really big thing that we do or I personally do too is if I miss a couple days I'm kicking my butt the next workout I'm like you jerk like you missed a couple now you got to pay for it kind of and I don't know if that's the best way to go about things there's definitely like this underlying drive to just like you said that old old athletic mentality of if you're gonna go you're gonna go right 
Yeah. Is, are you finding that a lot of your clients are, are talking a lot more about their mental health lately too? Yeah, a hundred percent. Like that's one of the biggest questions that I've been getting is what to do with all of this built up anxiety that people are experiencing. Um, and with all of the anxiousness, I mean, movement is key, but there's also these foundational things like sleep and nutrition that kind of go by the wayside when there's no concept of time anymore, really. So, mm-hmm. you know, staying up, watching that extra episode because there's really no rules to what you have to do the next day but keeping on track with like those foundational things are such an impact to mental health that it's just so worth it to keep some sort of schedule you know yeah I think the mental health as a motivator was really huge um, for me yeah I talked a little bit about like trying to find that routine after leaving um, uh, like a high intense high intensity sport training program um, and, and really like what it was that kind of gave me that last kick in the ass to like be more consistent with my training was, was my like kind of checking in with my mental health a little bit more. And I was finding that I was getting to this point, um, in my like mid to later twenties where, um, I wasn't feeling mentally well anymore. Um, but I wasn't sleeping well. I wasn't exercising. Uh, I wasn't eating as well as I used to. So, when I started to get those things in check, I realized how much better I was feeling. And when I like kind of drew the connection between those things, like taking care of my physical health and how it impacted my mental health, then I started to realize like, oh, well, I need to prioritize this. Um, and, you know, I, I understand that for a lot of people who suffer from mental illness, that's not an option for them. They can't just eat better, sleep more, exercise and, and have that make them feel better. But for me, it certainly did have a big impact. And so, you know, coming into this like COVID-19 quarantine times, I think that, you know, the last month hasn't been great for me, but I've certainly been self-aware the last like week or so of how that's been impacting my overall mental health. So lately, like in the last few days, I've been trying to, you know, set some some time aside for exercise and, you know, trying to shut off that next episode uh on my netflix binge or like end one episode earlier than i would have you know last week so yeah it's it's certainly been an adjustment but uh but i think i'm starting to get an understanding of how it's impacting me directly yeah it's like a huge time for some introspection too right and like most of us are going 10 out of 10 every day, like going a mile a minute. So there's, by the time you get home and feed the kids or do your workout or, and it's time to eat supper. And then when supper's done, you watch your one or two shows and then hit the sack. But um, we don't have time to like really self-reflect and say like, what are my triggers or why um, am I finding this so difficult? Or where is this anxiousness coming from? You know, and I think anxiety is, you know, getting too far ahead of yourself or getting too far behind yourself instead of just kind of living in the moment here. So um, it's it's tough to just be in your own head and not try to worry about what's coming, especially since there's no answers for us. You know, it's it's very up in the air of what's going to happen now. Mm-hmm. Being someone who who is used to um, like working with your clients in, in person, um, how has how has this been a shift for you and and how have you been able to like try to like find some bit of normalcy in all of this 
Yeah, it's been huge for me. Like I feed off people's energies so much and it's kind of like the same thing, the, the concept of uh, podcasting in the same room, right? There's this vibe that you get between people and there's, you know, a play off of a laugh without a lag time or something like that. So <laughs> yeah. I've switched to um, telehealth and it's been really good so far. Like the video quality and the sound quality is great and I still get to feel like I'm really helping people. Um, but I also lose out on like all the injection therapy and IV therapy and um, acupuncture and all that sort of stuff. So the hands-on is all gone, but um, a lot of the mental health, a lot of the stuff that I can do from a computer is still there. So I'm pretty fortunate in that. Mm -hmm. um, we've been hearing a lot like through the, through sick boy podcast, we've been he hearing a lot of doctors talk about uh, telehealth and telemedicine and you know how these, there's these amazing benefits of it, especially for, um, you know, extending beyond this uh, pandemic and the isolation, you know, in terms of like working, doctors working with um, more remote or rural communities and, and people who wouldn't traditionally have access to um, these types of healthcare. Um, have you found that like you've been able to like expand your practice outside of like, you know, working with um, just people who would physically be able to come and see you? Yeah, there's like um, a girl from Australia that reached out the other day. And so the globally, it that's gets, cool. Yeah, it gets a little bit larger. There's definitely like um, confines on my scope of or not scope of practice, but like um, with my license you have to respect the rules in each individual province or each of individual areas. So just kind of being mindful of that, all of that gets a little bit tricky, but I mean, to be able to help across the water is amazing and, and to broaden your uh, scope of practice and understanding like the culture of other places or how sports impacts athletes, you know, heat acclimatization and all that sort of stuff are things that you have to watch out for in some, some other areas. So it definitely keeps me on my toes for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. For your athletic career, like you're pretty big into canoe and spring canoe and stuff like that. And I know the transition out of sport is always super difficult for, uh, or sometimes difficult for people. I know in my experience, like I ate what I had always ate before and I wasn't training as much. And even what you spoke about of um, everything kind of changing for your commitment to working out. Do you want to walk us through kind of what that transition was like for you? Yeah, I was nodding my head as you were saying that um, because it is it is hard, like almost under. It's hard to understand, you know, when you grow up in in sport like that. It's hard to understand what life beyond that is. And um, for me, I had an interesting transition. Um, it wasn't. I don't think I was mentally ready to be done. Um, there was a huge kind of political. Um, change that happened within our canoe club and our organization that um, kind of moved me from you know being involved in the sport for um, longer than I I guess for I probably would have stayed a little bit longer if it wasn't for what had happened um, but the challenge was in I think a lot in the structure of the way that canoe kayak was set up so when I was training we used to have um, junior worlds and then the next age group after that would be senior. So um, when I was 18, I went and competed for Canada and Czech Republic uh, at the Junior World Championships, which happened every two years. Um, a few years later, they actually added the under 23 age category. 
and they made the under 23 world championships every year um, as opposed to the two years every two years for junior worlds and so it provided this kind of like stepping stone from going from a, an 18 year old athlete to competing against um, the senior level athletes and you know when I was competing there wasn't that level so it was like kind of like you made a decision when you were 18 if you were going to stick around in the sport for another you know potentially four or five years without experiencing any results or being able to like have that stepping stone to get to the next level and <clears throat> so because of this situation that happened at at our, our club I decided that I didn't want to stick around because the environment wasn't really um, supportive in the way that I think it would have needed to be to let me bridge that that gap from going from junior to senior so I don't know it was tough because I think in a lot of ways I wasn't ready to leave the sport and I wanted to con continue being an athlete um, but at that time you're, you're kind of making that decision if you want to go to university and there's all these other uh, career paths I guess that you can explore and and so I decided that um, school would be the path for me and I went to Carleton University for a year um, and I decided after that that school wasn't the path for me <laughs> and I was speaking to a friend of mine um, Jason who used to coach me when I was 12 years old in canoeing and he was home, visit, home visiting uh, Halifax for the summer. And he actually lived in Dubai and he offered me a job there. So I left at like 20 years old and went to the Middle East and ended up staying there and working for, for almost five years. So it kind of was like this forced transition um, from being this kid that identified as an athlete to being this you know, young adult trying to, you know, survive in this like corporate quote unquote world. So um, I think I was lost for, for a number of years, um, not really knowing what I wanted to do, um, what I found meaning in what kind of my, my purpose was. And I think a lot of uh, millennials identify with this um goal of attaining a, a career or life that is filled with purpose rather than, you know, fueled by the pursuit of money. So that was, uh, I think that whole kind of like five or six year period was me trying to figure out like what it really was that I wanted in my life. And uh, I watched back home as a couple of my friends um, developed a practice of yoga and I gained a curiosity of yoga through um, some of the things that they were sharing that they were taking away um, from their experience of practicing. And, and shortly after that, I, I decided that I wanted to go check this out. So I, I went to actually went to India and did my yoga teacher training. And I think that's kind of like probably when I look back on it, that's kind of one of the most defining moments of my life up to this point in, in understanding the importance of understanding myself and reflection and being able to you know ask myself what it what it is that i want to get out of this life um so i i returned home and started teaching yoga after that <laughs> that's so cool and i think like that's a super powerful story and 
I know in my experience, I don't know if you feel the same way, but uh, for athletics, like you're told when to show up, what time to show up, what to eat, what not to eat, when to practice, when to do literally everything. And in the meantime, you get your homework done and on to the game the next day or the, the practice the next day. And I felt like I didn't really have a lot of individuality. I was just kind of doing what I was told. Within that, you have your own personality a bit, but like for the most part, everything was so scheduled and it was a regime and you and without it like I was completely lost you know I didn't even know what I wanted to do and I took varying degrees and I think that's why it took me three to figure out what I wanted to do but I love that there's this point in your life where you're like you can gain it all back and yours sounds like it was with yoga hey? yeah yeah it's definitely I feel like it's always this like work in progress too so like I you know to to package it up neatly in like a five minute story and explain it, explain my life, the first 30 years of my life. It, it makes sense when I tell myself that story, but like, I, I feel like it certainly is a, a work in progress, but you're right about, um, you know, going from that athlete that has like a lot of structure to your life. And then all of a sudden, you know, no longer being in that sport, it's not just the structure of like the training routine and the day to day. It's like the structure of like, what is the goal? Like, what is the long-term goal? towards i mean for me all through my teens it was like someday i want to go to the olympics and life beyond going to the olympics i had no idea what that was and frankly it didn't it didn't matter to me right so all of a sudden when you know i decided that i wasn't going to continue um pursuing my sport anymore it, it was like whoa now what's the goal like what is and and having that you know it's funny that you think like what is the goal but it's like you have that goal setting mentality like that's what you've grown up being taught like you have to set a goal and then then figure out what those steps are to achieve it and then start ticking ticking them off one at a time yeah. so you know and 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 maybe you know maybe going into um or like finding this um passion for yoga is almost like it's almost like a middle finger to that process too, because it's like, Hey, the goal of yoga is like, there is no goal. So, yeah. so it's, so like it's complete opposite. It, it is the complete opposite. But you know, the other thing is, is that I also feel like no matter how long or how much I practice yoga, uh, I also feel like it'll almost be impossible to, to burn this like goal setting, like athlete mentality out of me. It was something that was like so fundamental and such a huge part of my upbringing as a kid that like you know it will always be it'll always be there yeah so it it's it's definitely this interesting dynamic of two like opposing forces i think in in my brain <laughs> yeah and it's so interesting like you can pick out athletes for the most part from a mile away you know and um their dedication to like self-improvement and self-discovery still has like this under and not that non-athletes don't have this but i just really see it in the populations that i work with um in a sense like you ask them to jump and they ask how high you know and they're just continually looking to get better um and even with yoga like i find myself doing it too like i want to be able to do handstands and once i do handstands i want to go on to the next thing too so it's this constant like underlying drive to get better i would say are you feeling yeah. that too yeah oh yeah i i remember um um i was taking uh taylor's yoga class once it's vinyasa and I, I don't know what it's called but vin, vinyasa level two class and um you know one of the things that you kind of learn early on in 
in yoga is that like you really need to let go of your ego. So, you know, people who start this physical practice of yoga, they oftentimes want to, you know, push themselves and be really strong in the poses and not back away from them. And if things get hard, you're always taught, you, you have this like mentality, especially as an athlete to like push through it. Um, so early on in yoga, I start to like understand this idea that you need to um, let go of the ego. And in those moments, maybe be a little bit softer with, with yourself and give into that a little bit and listen to what your body's saying. So um, I was taking this level two class with Taylor and about halfway through, I start to feel this pain and, you know, my athlete brain kind of switches on and says, push through it, push through it, push through it. And um, then all of a sudden I think like, oh no, like I don't need to push through it. I just need to let this go. Maybe, maybe I'll take child's pose. And so I back out of the pose and, you know, I'm in a class full of 20 people and I just go down on my mat and Taylor comes over to me and he goes, Hey, you okay? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm just letting it go. And so I'm feeling pretty good in child's pose. And I think, you know what, maybe my body just needs some rest now. So I just roll over onto my back and I take Shavasana. We're like in straight up in the middle of this vinyasa level two class. And, uh, and you know, before I know it, um, Taylor's kicking my foot and I realized that I'd fallen asleep and I was snoring in the middle of the class and um, it was pretty much the end of it. So I'd like slept basically the entire second half of this like 75 minute class. But I, I felt good about that. I felt like, okay, great. Like I did the right thing. And so I was, I think I was missing the point. Like it wasn't, there's no right thing. Like I was feeling like, oh, I'm now like, I, I think I legitimately thought I'm better than everybody else in this class because I listened to my body. So I did yoga better than them, you know? That's and amazing, so yeah. for like, for like the next few months of going to Taylor's vinyasa level two classes, I would just sleep the second half of the class and I would just keep going down and sleeping, thinking that I'm better than all these people because I'm listening to my body more and resting. And then I realized I, I had this like realization one day where I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? Like that is this is not yoga. <laughs> like this is not what you should be doing right now. So anyway, yeah, there, there's like, it's, it just goes to show that like there, you know, as much as you work on like trying to find that opposing energy from the athlete goal setting mentality, like, you know, I feel like it, it'll always be there for those of us who, you know, that was a huge part of our, our upbringing. Yeah. And I love that you, you know, listened and kind of tried to slow down because that's a, a almost an impossible task. I feel for a lot of athletes and what I'm trying to educate on most of the time is you're going to get way further if you recover appropriately and recovery looks like rest and nutrition and, you know, scaling back exercise if it's too much, you know, and that's such a difficult lesson because we're all ingrained with bigger, faster, stronger, you know? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because um about a year and a half ago i i uh started doing um olympic lifting and uh i i spent my first you know eight or 12 months at uh, at crossfit ironstone um doing crossfit but then i kind of I, I wasn't very good at the olympic lifts so i decided that i would start focusing on that a little bit more and um so i ended up joining the um olympic lifting team and uh when I first spoke to the coach, um, he said, you know, we train four times a week. I was like, that's cool. Um, so can I do CrossFit on the other days? And he's like, no, we train 
you're you're on the you're joining the team like that's training for the week and i was like yeah that's not enough though so um can i still do crossfit and he's like no like if you're going to be on the team and you're going to do the program i'm writing the program for a specific reason this is why you're going to do it this way and so i i had a really hard time with you know what do i do on the other three days of the week if i'm only training four times i i feel like i feel like that to me that seems like oh you're you're being lazy you're only training four times a week because growing up um competing in spring canoeing like our our training program was you know mostly sessions at least once or twice a day so um I think I, I learned a little bit about recovery and the importance of it on spending time on the uh, weightlifting team. But ultimately, like for my mental health, I felt like I needed to be doing some type of exercise every day and maybe didn't need to be at the same intensity. Um, but I feel like I, I have to do something to keep my mental health up. Um, yeah, so I found, that, I found that to be an interesting experience. And you're not alone in that, man. Like everyone says the same thing. So even CrossFit athletes are doing like two a days with a run and then a CrossFit workout or, um, you know, there's one like a couple of people from blended, they have like five or six kids and then they do a full-time job and then they have <laughs> CrossFit on top of that. And I'm like, man, you're overstressing the system so much that we're not going to get to the goals that you're looking to get to. And I think, um, I'm not sure what you're, other days were looking like on the non-Olympic Olympic lifting days, but really in emphasizing like yoga and breath work and mobility and all of those things. Um, if you can control your breath, like you can control your response to the stress response, right? So even I consider those workouts essentially. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So explain to me why I need to be the importance of rest and recovery because, you know, as an athlete, a former athlete, I guess, I, I've been told this so many times, but I feel like every time somebody tells me why I need to rest and recover, um, I just tune it out because I, <laughs> because I feel better about working out every day. Um, yeah. so, so sell me on the idea of why I need to, um, build that rest and recovery or breath work or yoga into my training schedule. So like the recovery elevator pitch is what you're looking for. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So there's so many, like the tricky thing is probably with your physique, like you've been genetically lucky for a lot of aspects of it and you work hard too. And then you eat, I'm assuming relatively healthy for your body. So mm -hmm. what would affect, um, some people with poor genetics or poor lifestyle choices would happen way sooner than they're going to happen to you, right? Just because you do take care of yourself. So for recovery, you might not notice anything drastic right off the bat, but the whole principle is that if you, um, anytime we work out, we're putting our body in a state of fight or flight. So when we're in fight or flight continually, cortisol gets released all of the time and cortisol is our stress hormone. So eventually um, the systems that release cortisol are gonna get a bit taxed. And when they get a bit taxed, we start to notice dysfunction in your thyroid gland. We start to notice dysfunction in your gut health. We start to notice like a little bit more systemic inflammation. So um, digesting food might become an issue. You might get hypersensitivities to food that you've never had before. Um, testosterone can take a pretty big hit for guys. And that means uh, your output in the gym is gonna go down. Uh, fatigue can start to set in. So all of these things for you specifically would probably be a little bit more long-term situational. 
Um, but everyone has their due day for these things, I would say. So it's mm -hmm. all about that preventative thing, allowing you to optimize longevity for as long as possible, keep your body in the peak physical condition, focused on longevity and making sure we keep as much as much like skeletal muscle mass on you as possible um, because that's what keeps us living the longest. Mm -hmm. So for somebody like me who still feels like they want to exercise or do something, you know, at least six days a week, let's say, um, what do those, what can those um, lighter days look like? Or what do you recommend for doing on those days that you wouldn't necessarily be pushing yourself like normal? Yeah. That's a good question. And I think it comes back to your goal as an athlete, right? Um, and with that, if it's just overall like health and longevity, we know through the science now that if you can control uh, your response to stress through breath work, you can control um, your autonomic nervous system. And if you can control that, you can control that essentially whole stress response. So you're not releasing cortisol as much, or when you do, you can tap into the rest and digest system right after that. So the more we practice, it's the same as a slap shot. It's the same as, you know, speed in a canoe. You just have to practice it. So when it's time to use it, it's, it comes um, right to you. It's like that muscle memory for breath work. Um, internal organ wise, like if you can control your breath too, your whole system is going to be well oxygenated. So your brain's going to work better. Um, in times like this, when anxiety is at like the precipice of everyone's first thought, if you have breath control, like you just kind of go into your own zone, do your breath work, calm the whole system down, and then you can get back to kind of life or get back to your um, systems that you know that help get through all of these things. Another big thing for like Olympic lifting and um, CrossFit is mobility. So most of the ranges of motion are like one plane. And if we think about longevity, what what puts most older people in the hospital is like a broken hip or um you know not having the strength to get out of a chair and and that's it's the immobility part that's a huge issue so if we can continue to build muscle mass or at least keep muscle mass throughout our entire life we're going to be way better off as an older adult um and then it always becomes that fine line too are you looking to maximize crossfit to go into a crossfit open to win or are you just trying to stay fit so you can live as long as possible and those two training regimes would look completely different right mm -hmm. yes. yeah it must be um i think of the challenge for for gyms and programming for uh for a for the entire population of that, that gym, because, you know, there's such a mixed bag of goals going into that. And like, I, I can think of the people that I've trained with and like how the variance in those goals, but you know, that's also like the cool thing about going to a gym like that, where you're doing group workouts is that, you know, even though you might have a different goal than another person that's there, you can still work out together. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Which is one of the things that I've, you know, has, have found to be motivating for me to like, get my exercise in every day yeah and it sounds like it's huge for your mental health and i would say for a lot of people too the tricky part for the mental health piece is i mean if you're taxing the system to the point where um you're either like punishing yourself with negative self-talk for not doing a workout or um, not giving it your all in a workout despite your body not being able to do it that day um 
or overtraining, we're all putting stress on the system, right? So sometimes those relaxation or days off is the best thing that you can do for yourself. And maybe like a phone call with a friend or a coffee with a friend may be way more beneficial than um, pounding it out at the gym. Uh, a lot of people like if they miss a workout, it's a lot of negative self-talk. If they, um, you know, do two days, they'll like punish their, their physical body, which can then impact mental health long-term. Um, so just always checking in. And that's kind of what I say with, with everyone. Like you're, I think humans are capable of the most amazing things in the world. Like we look at high level athletes, like triathlons are crazy. And I know. Uh, Ironmans are insane. Like, I like the, I fantasize about doing an Ironman. It's it's like it. You know, I talked about having that like long term goal. Like that's my new like Olympic goal. Like I I um you know in the next ten years for sure Ironman's on my bucket list because yeah, it's crazy. I, it's insane. It's insane. <laughs> it blows my mind that humans can do this. And like I even look at. Um, even the bikers around here, like they're doing crazy bike rides. Like my goal for the summer is to be able to do a hundred kilometers because it, they make it seem so possible. Social media makes mm -hmm. everything seem so possible. Yeah. Like, oh, you can do an Ironman. I guess I could probably do an Ironman. <laughs> now I'm just lazy for not doing it, right? Yeah. It's, it's interesting because there's like a whole new um, facet to like that endurance um, competition because you're actually like, you need to eat while you're exercising so it's like all about like it's not just the thing i find exciting about it is it's not just a matter of like going and working out for an hour it's like how can i scientifically um use like products and different resources to be able to help my body survive for the sustained work you know so it's uh yeah it's like a little mini science experiment experiment like i i've done i've run a um two marathons um before and it's like the runner's high when you're doing that and and like the um the way that it feels similar to um like a long meditation is really fascinating to me like it really the whole mental component of it um is really it, it really draws me in um i did a 100k bike ride uh not last summer but the summer before um with my friend taylor and and uh your former roommate and uh and yeah like after you know after 70k i didn't eat anything and my legs fell apart like the last 10k i probably took almost an hour to do like it was it was painful um but it was it wasn't because my body couldn't physically do it it was because i wasn't prepared for it i didn't i didn't properly nourish myself for it so um yeah that whole element of of the science element to um in, endurance sport really captivates me yeah, I find it so, so fascinating too. And all the stuff coming down the line um, with the difference between male and female athletes and how um, they should be treated so differently in respect to fueling and um, preparation and all that sort of stuff. So that's definitely some of my wheelhouse of what I love to, to work on. And then the other coolest part about that is I could read a million research papers on this. And then when I give you your plan, you're like, that was shit. That didn't work for me. You know? <laughs> and it's like this game, you know, the show house, I feel like I'm constantly doing that in a performance aspect because these things that on paper seem to work when you're like, man, I don't like the gels or no, nah, that doesn't taste good. I don't want to eat potatoes while I'm riding mm -hmm. a bicycle. And I'm like, well, I get that for sure, but it mm -hmm. says it works, you know? So modifying everything to fit the athlete is, is part of the finesse in all of this, I would say.
the first time I realized how big of an impact fueling has in, in endurance sport was when I, I ran my first marathon. Um, uh, I was running with my brother. It was actually my second one. I was running with my brother and he had trained a little bit more than I had for it. And, uh, but we were running together and at about 26 K or 27 K, um, I was, I was going too slow for him. So he was like, okay, Hey, look, like, I don't know if you're going to make it. I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead. And I was like, all right, go ahead. So, so he went ahead and the moment he went ahead of me, I felt like so defeated that I, I was just hitting the wall. Like, and for the next couple of kilometers, I was moving at like a snail's pace. And I remember I came out of, I was running the Halifax marathon, the blue nose and I came out of uh, Shuby park and I was running down the street and there's at that point, there's not a lot of other people around. And I noticed up the street, I saw my mom walking and she was walking away from the course. And I, I yelled to her when I was running, but I was like, um, mom, where are you going? And she was like, Oh, Dennis said that you quit. <laughs> and she was walking away. She didn't even stay to, to watch oh. and see me. And, uh, I was like, Oh no, he said I quit. I didn't quit. And then I, I grabbed some gels there and I, I, I refueled. And about a kilometer or two later, I, all of a sudden, like, it was like a light switch. Like I felt better than I had felt the entire rest of the run. Um, my pace went from like a five thirty six minute pace back down to like four minutes. And I was just cruising and I ended up catching back up to my brother like three kilometers later. And I remember like the runner's high I had like coming up behind him. And uh, I tapped him on the shoulder and he was like, he was like freaked out. Like he saw a ghost and he was like, what happened to you? How, wait, how did you get here? And I was like, I feel great now. And I was like totally back to normal right to the end of the race. It was like, it was, it was wild. And, and the, you can only explain it or like, to, I, I guess people would only understand if they've they've actually been in that situation because it's so night and day. Um, but that was really attractive to me, like the idea that like, oh, you know, if you take care of yourself, you can make your body feel, go from feeling this way to that way just by properly nourishing it, you know? So yeah, I'm, I'm certainly interested in what it would be like to do, you know, a hundred and 80 kilometer bike ride and four kilometer swim on top of all that. Yeah, that would be insane. And even the thought of it, like there's Ironman athletes that like sit across me and I'm like staring at them so weird. I'm like, how are you, how are you different than everyone else on the planet? Like, tell me about your mental fortitude. And yeah, when you talk about um, that meditation aspect too, like the, the stuff that goes through my brain, even on like a, 70 kilometer bike ride is can get pretty dark and deep sometimes and absolutely uh, what's your experience with that well my experience with the the dark and deep thoughts they come closest to home like like i go for a run in the morning and i leave the house in the first two minutes i'm like i don't need to do this today do i really need like it's fine like i'm I'm still close to home like i can turn around and go back and you know i'll just eat really healthy today to make up for like not doing exercise this morning or whatever but but i think um once you get warmed up and the further away you get, then it's like, okay, well, you know, I have to go back now. So I'm just going to do this and enjoy it. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think that, I think that the, it, the biggest hurdle to get over for me personally is starting. 
Um, but once I'm, once I go, um, I feel pretty good. Yeah. It's like, for me, especially with biking, I think it takes like 10 kilometers before I stop like beating myself up. And then it's finally like, Oh wow, I love this. Like this feels yeah. so good. And then, you know, at the 20, 30 kilometer mark, you're like, I am a machine. I can do anything. <laughs> and then yeah, don't, don't get me wrong though. If you, if you are going out in a tailwind and then you turn around, you're coming back in the headwind <laughs> that <Crazy>. that sucks. <laughs> yeah. I did that yesterday and I was just like, how can I be this much slower if there's wind involved, you know, and yeah. you get all defeated and stuff. But I think uh, the mental fortitude is something that's really classic to athletes, you know, and I don't know if it, you're born with it or if it's something that develops through coaches just pushing you and not really having an option to quit. Like you're not going to walk away from a boat because you'd be in the water, but there's no option, right? (laughs) Swim away from it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think for me, it's, it was definitely, you you like to think that you're born with it and that it's something special, but like, you know, I think it really comes from, um, you know, just having some of those values instilled in you at at such a young age. Um, I was, I was thinking about a, a topic that we were just talking about before that, the, the mental, fortitude um i had a i had a thought that i wanted to to share in terms of like you know being a triathlete or, or endurance i'll let it go but uh it's <laughs> yeah, probably good <laughs> but yeah it's it was, uh, i'll share this story with you i was uh i was sitting around the table at my um, girlfriend's parents house for dinner this is a few months ago and there was uh uh they had some friends over and her sister's friend who was there, she asked the table. Um, um, we were, we were mostly athletes sitting there and she said, you know, do you think your ability to um, perform as an athlete, do you think that it, it is something that you were born with or do you think that it's something that uh, this is the idea that I wanted to share? Um, <laughs> she said, do you think it's, it's something that you were born with or do you think that it's, it's something that was instilled in you at a young age? And she asked us to think about an experience that was not athletic um, that happened to us early on in our lives that would have helped define um, that value or character trait. Um, So I was thinking about it and I I remember this time when I was at Disney world, I was 10 years old and I have an identical twin brother and, and I wanted to, I wanted to follow everything that he did. And so like we went to, Cape Canaveral to like watch a rocket launch and like even when we were like standing on this beach walking around like I was walking in all of his footsteps and I'm like I want my experience to be just like my older twin brothers and um so I, I kept doing that and we went to uh this water park I think it was Blizzard Beach water park where at the time was like the tallest and fastest water slide in the world and um when we got there we of course wanted to go on this tallest and fastest water slide so we get in the lineup and my whole family's there and, and we wait like an hour and a half to get to the top. And when we got to the top, um, I got scared and I was like, I'm going to go back down. I don't want to do it. And I, I said this to my parents and they're like, Oh, okay. Well, your grandparents are down there. Just like turn around and go back down. So my brother and my mom and my dad and my cousin, I think they all get on the water slide and go down. And I walked back down to the bottom. And when I, got to the bottom of the stairs, I was like, man, I really wanted to go on that experience. Like, ugh, that's such a bummer that I didn't do it. And I just decided there that I was going to turn around and go back up. So 
I, I pivot, wait in the lineup again for like another 45 minutes. Don't see my parents. Like they're freaking out, wondering where I am. And I went down the water slide and it wasn't, it wasn't as scary as I thought it was surprised. Um, but I went to my parents and I ran up to them and I was like, I went down the water slide. And they were like, no, you didn't. You, you turned around and you left. You didn't go down the water slide. Where have you been? And they didn't believe me. And I was like really bummed out because like this whole trip, I wanted to like share the same experiences as them. And that was probably the motivation for me to turn around and go back up and go down the water slide. But even after I did that, they didn't believe me. So I felt like in my heart, I was like, Oh, I'm so bummed out that you guys don't believe that I, I shared that experience with you, even though I didn't do it, you know, right after you. And I think sitting on that experience and this, obviously I didn't like, I didn't have this like reflective, mindful, you know, conversation with myself at that time. But I think when I look back on that moment, the reason why it still sticks with me now is because I realized like, oh, um, I don't have to do things for other people or to have them believe it or acknowledge it. I should just do it because it makes me feel good because I got to actually have that experience. So, um, you know, when I think of doing things that challenge me or scare me, or push me to my limits. It's like, what can I take away from this experience? What can it give me? You know, when I go and run a marathon or bike a hundred K or, you know, hopefully someday or definitely someday um, do an Ironman. It's not about, you know, being able to go and tell other people that I did that. It's about being able to know deep within myself that I have the ability to overcome or push through any obstacles to achieve the goal that I set out to achieve. I love that story. That is so powerful. And I think, I hope everyone had some sort of defining moment like that, where you really don't have to do this for other people. Right. And I think a lot of our society, unfortunately is, or feels the need to please others or um, everything that they do has to be a highlight reel of the best things possible, you know, and another point to that is your guys's dinner conversations sound amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really cool. You know, honestly, after uh, shout out to Lauren Carter for asking that question, but that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so uh, yeah, it was it was a it was it was a I, you know, I I want to like the caveat to that, like whole story is that like, you know, it sounds really nice when you're able to like look back on your life and like tell these stories about these experiences that you've had, um, and. I think that anybody can do that about any experience that they've had. Um, what's important is like, you know, what can you learn from that yourself and how do you take that and apply it to your life moving forward? Like, it's not like, you know, it's not like I've had this storied life full of all of these lessons that have, you know, just laid themselves out so neatly for me. It's that I, I, I think I've been asked the questions by friends or been surrounded by people who, you know, are genuinely interested in, you know, exploring some of those ideas or, or stories with me to like find what the lessons are, are inside of those. Um, and it's like doing things like this, like sitting down and talking with you right now um, reminds me and makes me reflect on, on, you know, some of the moments I've had so far in my life. Yeah. And I find like, I don't know if it's an uh, again a natural thing that people are born with or if it develops over time but like this storytelling aspect of things I know when I first started the podcast I was so 
nervous to use my voice or like was it even valuable what I was saying or um, all these stories that we tell ourselves or you'd cut a story short so um, you don't want to take up other people's time too much and I think a lot of people have those innate feelings and when I listen to like Jeremy talk or when I listen to you talk you guys say your story and you add the adjectives to make it more of like you're like storytellers and I think that's Mm -hmm. one reason why people love the podcast so much too hey yeah cool thanks um yeah it's um you know i learn a lot from jeremy too he's uh he's really um he's he's an incredible storyteller and i think he he brings that out of me too and and i i've you know i think i've learned a lot from him in the, in the way that i share my experiences with others so um yeah thanks for that but i i definitely give a lot of credit to him yeah and taylor too like i remember he stole, told me a story at windhorse one time and i won't repeat it i don't know if he wants it out there but <laughs> it was like watching a movie like the way he <laughs> described things and and set scenes up and stuff like that i was just like holy shit i feel like i was just part of something with you, you know and i think that's what a lot of your listeners get too i'm curious like if any of your athletic background um helps with any of the jobs that you got or even with the podcast too yeah, I, I, I mean, I would say 100%. I, I'd say any of the jobs or, you know, take the podcast, for example, um, it's, it goes back to that goal setting. Like I'm, I'm very um, process oriented. Like I will, I'll see the end result of what I want and then look at what the steps are to, to getting there uh, and then just try to follow that. In fact, like we, you know, um, Taylor and Jeremy and I as, as a, a trio who are trying to creatively create this thing together. Um, there's a lot of uh, conversations uh, and debates about the directions that we want to take things. And if I can't see the end goal and the steps to get there and what they're explaining their vision is to me, then um, it's harder for me to get behind it. So like my, um, I guess my personality it really encourages them to them to like lay be very clear i guess with what their vision is so that we can we can follow through on it um but that's always i think that comes from sport i think that comes from goal setting um and i think that that you know 100% of like the the work ethic and effort that i put into projects that i'm passionate about i think that all comes from um growing up um pursuing goals as an athlete Yeah, definitely. And I kind of like to hear so many athletes stories post sport or um, what it looks like in the real world for them now. And um, you said school didn't work out for you. And I think that's so good for people to hear too, because um, I went straight school and it worked out for my life, but it was, I also missed out on a lot of like lifestyle opportunities to travel the world and experience new things. So um, I can't say missed out because I am happy with where I'm at, but yeah, yeah, like I, I, how has sport like shaped where you went after sport, I guess you'd say. Again, in, in reflection, like one of the big things that's taught me is um, how to handle failure. Um, part of what has, um, you know, if I, if I, I, I hate saying like the podcast, the Sick Boy podcast is, is successful because like we're, I still feel like we're on a path to going somewhere that we're not quite there yet. Um, but, you know, it's not like that was the first thing I tried to do you know 
there is, um, I think of when I was 16 years old, I tried to start a not-for-profit that I called uh, Chairs for Care. Um, I was reading a, an article about uh, how they had just made public education free for students in Sierra Leone. And the problem was, was that they didn't have enough facilities to house all of the new kids who were going to be coming to school. And uh, one big thing that they struggled with was finding furniture. So, you know, I think seeing the world through rose colored glasses when I was like 16 years old, I was like, well, I can, you know, I see that there's a problem. So like I can communicate this to my community and other people will believe that this is important and will want to donate money and we'll be able to help them solve that problem. So I started this uh, little organization called Chairs for Care and we did this uh, 24 hour sit-a-thon where um, five of us sat on a, a park bench in Victoria Park that was made for two people. We sat on it for 24 hours and we raised like three or $400. And then I was like, okay, I raised the money. So like, now what do I do? Just wire it to them, like get furniture. Like, and then I, I realized at that point, like, oh, I, we made a little bit of money and that's great. But like, I literally have no idea what the next step is. And so I had a lot of like, um, attention and energy from my close friends who wanted to be involved with this. But, you know, after that one event, it started to fade and um, people lost interest and in turn, I lost interest and, and it failed. Um, and I have like 15 other stories like that where I've tried other things and they've all failed too. Um, but again, like in hindsight, there's a lot of things that I've, I've learned through those failures that have contributed to what has, you know, made sick boy again, quote unquote successful over the last um, four or five years. But coming back to like what sport taught me about that, it's, it's that when you fail um, you get back up and you try again. And in that failure, look back at what you can take away from that. And um don't make the same mistakes again, frankly. 100%, yeah, yeah, that's huge. And I think too, like, even what you say, it sounds like you're very goal oriented and, and have very specific goals for what you're looking for in life. And I think that that's a huge thing post sport to be able to define what you want now, right? And um, I think a lot of times we think we write these goals and it has to be that and then that it's perfect and then you move on to the next one. But as you said, like some of those completely fail. And when we use the term fail, is it, if you learned, is it really failing, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And uh, the, the other thing that I think about too is, is um, one thing that has taught me a lot uh, about being an athlete and then how to apply those uh lessons you learn as an athlete to the rest of your life is, is being a coach. Uh, so I, I actually coach canoeing for, um, you know, on and off for almost 10 years after getting out of the sport and for about four years at like, not, not an elite level, but with like a junior, uh, with junior level athletes. And, you know, I looked at, all of the people that I trained with out of all the athletes I trained with when I was an athlete, uh, only I think it would be safe to say that a lot of them had the dream of going to the Olympics 
but only a few, very few of them actually ever realized that dream. And when I was a coach, especially at the junior level, uh, initially I wanted to train the athletes to give them the competitive edge to be able to hopefully have a better shot at realizing that Olympic goal. And the first two years I coached, I burned a lot of kids out uh, really early on. I just made them do way too much and more work than they would have needed to uh, for kids at that age. And they got results at that age, but they all hated the sport. Uh, So I kind of realized after that, that instead of coaching them to be the best athletes, uh, I wanted to coach them to be the best versions of themselves that they could be. So I started to think more actively about how I could convey um, important life lessons or things that I found a lot of value in uh, to them as athletes through my coaching. And I think that that, um, that activity of like thinking about what it is that I want to share with them, I think that actually taught me a lot. It's kind of like there's that, that, uh, that yoga saying that the, the uh, teacher really becomes the student when they become the teacher. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think, you know, I probably like, I'm probably there like philosophizing in front of like, you know, these 14 years old, 14 year old kids, like telling them like, here, like, here are all the things I've learned about the universe and none of it's sinking in yet at the same time while, while I'm speaking it to them, I'm like actually learning quite a bit myself. So yeah, yeah, I that's totally that, yeah. I totally agree with what you're saying. And I know when I was coaching um, to mostly like young female athletes, it's almost like I was reliving through them some of my experiences too. And I'd be like, oh, if I only knew that then, but it's so right. Like until they experience it for themselves or until they gain that internal piece of wisdom for whatever reason or whatever happenstance that it comes about, like you're exactly, that was more for me than anyone. I would say. Yeah. Coaching kids has to be the greatest Thing that you can do though on the on the planet um yeah. yeah it was it was amazing yeah it's so fun and like just their carefree nature before you know shit sets in or before you realize how hard things are or how hard the world can be and <laughs> not to be like a pessimist about it but um i feel like i'm an internal optimist despite the situations but it's stuff gets harder for sure hey yeah one one of the things that really humbled me about it was um was that in the same vein, like, um, you know, I saw kids go through, um, you know, challenges with uh, their mental health in ways that, like, I had zero understanding of before. And through doing Sick Boy and talking to people who struggle with mental illness, um, I had a whole new, um, like, view or understanding of, of, of how you know, some of the people that I would have trained with when I was 14, 15, 16 would have actually been experiencing the world because I think at that point, like I was naive and privileged where, you know, I, I blindly thought that, um, you know, all the other kids who, who I was training with probably had similar life experiences that I did. Um, but it wasn't until I started to talk to people who would open up about their own experiences or you know until i struggled with my own mental health a little bit that i started to realize that oh there's you know there was kids and there are people 
now that face a lot of challenges that, you know, I never would have thought of or understood at all before. So, um, yeah, it was really eye opening to try to help, um, some of those younger kids like work through some of those experiences, um, as a coach. Yeah, that's so cool. And I think, um, just the experience is so cool. And, um, there's so many, maybe this isn't true. I'm not that age anymore, but I feel like way back when there was no words to describe really how potentially we were feeling. Um, And now it's becoming a little bit more mainstream and a little bit more open to be able to find these words and use them to like describe how you feel. And, um, yeah, I just find that super interesting too, when people can open up a little bit more and you guys are making it so real and applicable to a lot of the population as well. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, um, you know, there's like a new level of mental health literacy. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, it's the same way that like kids nowadays are being taught how to like computer program in elementary school. Mm-hmm. And like, I thought that I was a tech savvy person and that I had a pretty good understanding of computers, but like lo and behold, there's like eight year olds that are way more tech savvy than I'll ever be. And you start to realize that like, you will be like your grandparents basically. Um, uh, like, with mental health, I think that, you know, the same way that our grandparents would have this like very lay person understanding of what mental health and mental illnesses are, um, you know, we're still working to like better understand that. So, you know, hopefully the hope is, is that like as human beings evolve, um, kids growing up in our world today will, will have a lot more um, vocabulary and a, a better um, intellectual capacity to understand and communicate uh, surrounding their their mental health. Yeah, and I think the fact that you guys are putting like um, a spin on it for you know the funniness that comes into it and the scariness, but ever so slightly, ever so slightly making it a little bit lighter than it is, and um, it kind of gives. I don't know if the word is courage, but for me, I'm always so scared to say the wrong thing sometimes or to trigger people in a way that I never intentionally meant to do, you know? So mm-hmm. I like that there's this opening up to the point where I feel totally comfortable saying like, hey, if, if this word is bothersome to you, please just let me know. Or if I say something that is like totally off base here, please just reach out and I'd rather know, right? And then we can work through it that way, right? Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, I'm always worried about that too. Like I'm, I'm especially with, with our show, the nature of the humor and like the juvenile, like sense of humor that Taylor and Jeremy and I share together. Um, You know, we're, we're three best friends joking around and we're, we don't put anything on or we try not to put anything on when we're recording a podcast. We just try to be ourselves. And sometimes we, um, say ignorant things or slip up and say things that offend people. Um, but I believe that as long as you're coming from a place of compassion, then somebody will reach out and educate you and you learn from that and you move on and you, you don't do it again. Um, but if you're not coming from a place of compa- compassion, then of course, you know, it's, it's justifiable that somebody would be really freaking upset with you. Um, but yeah, I, I think that you know, we're, we're, the whole world is evolving. And um, as long as we 
can avoid getting upset and angry with each other and try to educate each other instead, then I think that people will be more receptive to learning and understanding, improving and becoming better people through that discourse. Yeah, I love that. That's such a great point. And, and for even practitioners of any sort or coaches in that respect, like don't be scared to have the conversations just because you may say the wrong thing. Like if you're exactly like you said, if you're coming from it from an openness standpoint, like you're just trying to learn too, right? Mm-hmm. And also the, the cool thing, like to talk specifically about um, coaching and mental health is that there's um, courses now for like mental health first aid and, and, um, I guess mental health first aid would be like the, the the main one. My dad was actually telling me the other day that he took one through his, his work. He works in government. And uh, I was like, that's awesome. Good, good for you. Like you're probably one of the people who needs to, to hear about that the most. So um, uh, yeah, it's cool that those courses are available. And I think that it's, it's really important that, you know, people who work with kids and, and vulnerable populations are privy to that type of information because um, it can be incredibly important and beneficial to have. Uh, we, we actually uh, partnered with an organization this year called uh, Be There, and they created this online. Uh, I'm not sure if you've heard Jack of Jack.org before. Yeah, I think I have, yeah. Yeah, it's like uh, um, youth uh, leaders across Canada that um, work together to support um, mental health initiatives and be there is a resource for people who are trying to support someone who might be going through a tougher, challenging time. So you can go to be there.org and they have uh, kind of like a handbook on how to support somebody or talk to somebody who might um, be having a, uh, might be struggling with their mental health because, you know, there are crisis lines for those who, um, are in crisis. And I think that a professional needs to uh, be involved with, with uh, that scenario, but uh, be there is great for people who are um, generally just trying to support somebody who might be going through a tough time. Yeah. And even resources on that front for parents to like check in with their kids or coaches to check in with their players would be so awesome. And I think a lot of times the foundation is for coaches Mm -hmm. to get to know the, the athletes so you can see when things are off too. Hey, yeah yeah absolutely yeah so what are your next uh big goals where are you going now um yeah it's 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 such a weird time to uh to ask that because uh because this whole pandemic that just kind of puts like a damper on everything um we have big goals for uh the podcast right now um we just came off of a the last year was was um pretty busy with uh, touring around and doing live shows, uh, doing keynote talks. Um, we were actually this weekend supposed to be in Mexico speaking. Um, so that was postponed till September, but, uh, trying to do some more stuff outside of, of Canada. Um, personally, I'm just looking forward to getting back into, uh, the gym and exercising with other people. Uh, like I said, an Ironman is, is definitely, um, somewhere on the horizon for me um somewhere in the future but uh right now just trying to try and i'm, I'm not going to put too much pressure on myself i just want to i just want to stay healthy and maintain during these um weird and wacky times 
Yeah, definitely. That's that's good. And I think a lot of people are, are putting so much pressure to be productive in these times and to get everything done and to get all of their workouts in. But I think, you know, mental health, as we had talked about, is the most important. So just keep checking in with yourself and making sure that, you know, is today a workout day or is it more a recovery day? And um, I think that's hugely important for athletes too during this time because we took a, away a lot of your events. And same with you guys, we took away a lot of the things that are going to, you know, come down the line. But it doesn't mean it's the end. Things are coming back. It's just a matter of when. Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm an inherent optimist, so I I I totally feel you on that. And um, for anybody who is feeling down, um, it's okay. But just know that we're all in this together. And and as Jeremy likes to say all the time, life will always be beautiful again. Yeah, definitely. I love that. I'm finishing most of the podcast with kind of a, a lesson from the person that I'm talking to. Like if you could kind of give one piece of advice to up and coming athletes um, and it could be business wise, it could be lifestyle wise, or it could be athlete wise. Um, what would you say? One piece. Um, if I had to give them one piece of advice, I, it's, it's funny because I, I, I said this to the kids that I coached all the time. Um, I wanted them to uh, be present and it's hard because I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to tell them this advice. The advice was, was uh, the advice was to not so much focus on the result, but enjoying the journey. And I know it's cliche to say, but to me, the athletes, whether you compete uh, on your own or you're part of a team, um, you still likely train with other people, even if you're an individual athlete. And it's important to remember that the people that you spend time chasing after that goal with day in and day out, those people are your family. So treat them with love, treat them with respect, um, be there for them, check in with them and support them. Um, and be present with them because the goal will come and go. Um, but the relationships that you build in the process of chasing it will be forever. So invest time there, invest your time there the most. I love that. And even investing in yourself in those moments to being present to learn as much as you can, because um, looking back, it goes by quick. Hey? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Awesome, man. You're kind of an open book. Do you mind if people reach out to you if they have questions or? No, not at all. I'm, uh, I'm always free. Awesome. Where can they find you at? Uh, easiest way is probably on Instagram at Brian Stever, or you can always email me at uh, brian at sickboypodcast.com. Awesome, man. I'm so excited to see what uh, Sickboy has in store for the future. And thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. This is fun. 